You're listening to the Technology for Mindfulness podcast, episode 51, hosted by me, Robert Plotkin. Today, I'm going to be speaking with Sean McCormick, a performance coach and podcaster. You can find out more about Sean and learn about his various coaching programs at seanmccormick.com. I'm extremely pleased to welcome Sean McCormick to the Technology for Mindfulness podcast. In the interview that you're about to hear with high-performance coach Sean McCormick, you'll hear Sean talk about some of the benefits of coaching in general. And it made me think about a conversation that I had with my own business coach years ago. I first hired my current coach over a dozen years ago for my law practice, and I've been working with him ever since. And I think it was a few years into working with him when he shared a little secret with me. <laughs> you know, when you hire a coach, you might think of picking someone based on their special expertise in a certain area or the process they follow for helping you become more productive or efficient, or maybe their background in finance or marketing or any of a number of highly specialized skills that they might have. But what my coach shared with me Again, after I had been working with him for a few years and I was very satisfied with him and I think he felt comfortable making this admission to me, she said, Robert, you know what? I think about 50% of the value I bring to you and my clients is accountability, meaning that we speak on the phone and you, Robert, say to me, I'm going to do the following three things for my coaching homework by next week. And because you, Robert, know that we're going to have a call the following week, and I'm going to ask you if you did your homework. <laughs> that's accountability. And that's half of the value that I bring to the relationship, is just being there and your knowledge that I'm there, looking over your shoulder in a sense, even if I'm not physically there, is so much of what helps you as my client to improve and progress. And I think it was a really valuable insight for me to hear that. And it was a brave thing for my coach to admit to me. You know, he could have easily said, you're doing so much better because I bring all X, Y, and Z to the table. One, it was valuable because it helped remind me how much of my improvement came from within myself, even though it was certainly with a lot of guidance and encouragement and, and a lot of expert skill from my coach. But also just reminded me of the value of social support, which can be from friends, from family members, from colleagues, holding us accountable. It can be in a gentle but firm way, can do so much to help us stick to what we set as our own goals. So you don't necessarily have to pay someone in order to get that benefit of accountability. And you may find that if you set your own goals and find a family member or a friend or perhaps a coach or consultant, maybe someone that you pay or not, who can just hold you accountable in a supportive way to what you decided to do, you may very well find that that provides just tremendous, tremendous benefits. So I hope you find that tip helpful, and I hope you enjoy the upcoming interview with performance coach Sean McCormick. Hi, Sean, and welcome to the Technology for Mindfulness podcast. Oh, thank you very much for having me. I'm really interested to talk to you. I know that you're a coach. You focus a lot on, on productivity and enhancing performance for your clients, but I know that you're also a meditator. 
And I wonder if you could tell people, just to get started, a little bit about your background in meditating, how you got into it, and maybe some of the positive effects that it's had on your own life. Yeah, like you said, I'm a coach for for high performers, and that's sort of a vague way to describe it. But I work with Hollywood actors and actresses, professional athletes, CEOs, principals, entrepreneurs, and we cannot remove ourselves from the demands of technology. They are just a, a massive part of our life, and they are a requisite requirement for us to be able to show up in the world. And there are very few people who have been able to advance their career without strategic use of, of technology. As far as meditation is concerned, I was lucky enough to be introduced into transcendental meditation at a pretty young age. Uh, when I was, I, I grew up a really busy kid. You know, I, I couldn't sit still for more than a moment and <laughs> was diagnosed with uh, ADHD, blah, 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 in the third grade. And my folks decided not to medicate me, um, for which I'm absolutely grateful. But what they did do instead of uh, medication was they taught me. TM. And I know that your listeners are going to probably be familiar with transcendental meditation, but they gave me a mantra and they showed me the technique and I hated it. Mm -hmm. I, I couldn't stand it. <laughs> it was about the last thing that I wanted to do. I would really rather be just be doing just about anything else other than sitting quietly and reciting my mantra and focusing on my inner verse. But it was, you know, probably six to eight months into my first introduction to transcendental meditation that I had that moment that I think most meditators have where it makes sense, where you finally get that feeling of calm and bliss and presence. And that when you finish that meditation session, you get that greater understanding of yourself and of interconnectedness and presence of mind. And then from mm -hmm. there, I sort of, tinkered around with lots of different meditation practices from mindfulness to zazen to uh, conscious awareness and was inspired so much through my sort of you know 20s and through college to open float centers i opened uh, sensory deprivation tank centers to sort of hack the meditation process mm. uh, a little bit found that to be my calling but for me it's been fundamental especially for go-getter type A's that are busy brain and busy bodied, we have to have something that will allow us to slow down and focus on the breath because that's where all of the inspiration and creativity and, and purpose and connection with ourself resides. And so it's, it's a huge part of my coaching focus. I do want to turn to how this plays into your coaching, but before we do that, I'm sure some of our listeners are familiar with transcendental meditation. I suspect more people are familiar with mindfulness meditation. Could you talk very briefly maybe about some of the differences, particularly what's kept you in transcendental meditation and why people might want to try it? Yeah, so the origins of, of transcendental meditation came from Maharishi Mahashyogi, who was probably most famously associated with the Beatles in mm -hmm. the you know 60s and 70s as a guru for for bringing meditation to the western world and I actually stopped my TM practice 
and this is actually a similar story to my father, that I got into a place where I was leaving my meditation sessions feeling not only calm, but also a little bit depleted, a little bit mm. lethargic. And as an athlete, as a you know collegiate scholarship athlete, I found that it was going too far. It was almost too mm -hmm. effective to be bringing me down mm -hmm. into mm -hmm. a, a state of consciousness that wasn't helping me focus on performance. So mm -hmm. uh, Transcendental Meditation has, has a lot of uh, celebrity support, you know, people like David Lynch and Russell Brand, Russell Simmons, Seinfeld, they all do Transcendental Meditation. And, and it's a, it's a mantra-based meditation where you, you sit and you lift your eyes up toward your, your pineal gland and you recite this mantra over and over. And there's lots of nuances between you know, how you, how you recite your mantra, uh, which is obviously a, a meaningless mantra. It does not mean anything. And, you know, I've, I've battled back and forth with, with whether or not I, I wanted to share my mantra and because I don't use it anymore. I'll just tell you what it is. Okay. It was wah, wah, wah. So I would just go back to wah, back to wah, you know? So the meditation itself is, is based in mantra. Whereas mindfulness is, is about acknowledging the present moment and going back to your breath. I mean, that's obviously a, a <laughs> terrible oversimplification, but acknowledging the present moment, acknowledging what's going on in your body, acknowledging going what's going on in your head and noticing those sensations and then returning to your breath. I tinkered around with lots of different meditation styles, both in the sensory deprivation tank and out of the sensory deprivation tank. And my, my meditation practice has evolved to really a really simplified observance of the breath. And so that's what I do now. I, I just watch my breath. It's also become more of a spiritual practice for me. But in general, any meditation period is a good meditation. And, and, you know, they say even a bad meditation session is a, is a good meditation <laughs> session. It's really interesting. I always like asking people about their practice and particularly how it's evolved over time if they've been meditating for a long time. And I, I find with many people, it's changed and evolved. It's not static. It's not necessarily the same. And I, I mentioned that in part for people who haven't meditated yet to be aware of that you don't have to necessarily pick one, stick with it forever. It can be part of your practice to be paying attention to what is or isn't working for you so that you can adapt it over time. Let's, let's turn to how you have then brought this practice, which is obviously deeply important to you personally, how you've brought that to your coaching. How does this play into how you, you coach others? It's really the starting point, you know, for, for most of my clients who are high performers, they don't have a technique. They don't have a method and they are lacking any sort of framework that will allow them to be calm and present. So that's really among the first, the first conversations that we have is what do you do to be still? And it turns out that for most people, and maybe for people who are listening to this right now, it's either in the shower <laughs> or it's in the garden or on a walk, but not even on a walk anymore because most people bring their phones or mm -hmm. that moment right before you go to sleep when you, if you're in the bed with your phone, shame on you. <laughs> um, <laughs> but if you're in the bed with your phone, you turn it off and then there's that moment of stillness where you're getting ready for sleep. And for some people that lasts five minutes and for some people that, that lasts 45 minutes, but it has become sort of a pillar for me 
for my coaching clients because if you can't sit still and allocate time to get in touch with your true essence, with why you're dynamic, with why you perform at such a high level, with what makes you special. If there's no method for that, then we've got to cultivate one. And just because it's simple and reliable, I point people to various meditation apps. So Insight Timer or Oak or Headspace to allow people to have a guided meditation experience because that will give them something to do, something to follow that will lead them into a meditation practice. And for for a lot of people who get going on, on a meditation practice through one of those apps, it usually evolves into, okay, I love Andy Pettycombe's accent <laughs> and I appreciate his way of taking me into meditation. But eventually, the sort of the, the road runs out, and uh, people want to take it to the next level. In which case, they have to they have to learn or study and practice a meditation that's not guided. So it's really the launching launching off point. Because if people are coming to me, if they've hired me to be their coach, they're looking to improve in a short period of time. They want to reach their goals faster than they would on their own, and. It's hard for people to be told, listen, <laughs> in order for you to reach your goal faster, you need to slow down. You need to be still for at least 20 minutes a day outside of the shower and those few moments before you fall asleep. But it's fundamental and you can tell the clients that get into it quickly because they're more present in coaching sessions. They're more aware of themselves. They're more cohesive in their thinking patterns and that's owed to their meditation discipline. Yeah, it's very interesting. You know, I encounter a lot of people also who seem perplexed by the idea that you might get more done by slowing down. I've heard people talk about it as speed versus velocity or speed versus efficiency as a way of trying to explain, you know, to people whom it just seems like a foreign concept that you might actually get more done by slowing down periodically. Uh, how do you get over that hump with people, maybe, who have, through their natural skills, become high performers and reached a certain level by just going fast, nonstop, constantly? It comes through a really frank conversation about where they are and what they want to be and who, who they want to be and what they want to do. And again, if you've hired me, it's because you have more to do. You're ambitious and you want to, you have, you have things that you want to become. And most often I point to a, a lack of certain depth. And most folks who have gotten to where they are in their life by hard charging, you know, hashtag crush it, hashtag hustle, hashtag grind, you know, they've become these producers and it's through these conversations to explore how is it that they produce? When are they able to be most in touch with the true essence of who they are? And I say this to most of my clients is, you know, we want to get you to the point where you are the most you you can be. <laughs> we want you to be the best version of yourself. And the way to do that is not through Netflix or Facebook or Snapchat or Twitter, it's through you having moments to get more in touch with who you are. And, you know, I often point to, you know, famous successful meditators, you know, Warren Buffett or Richard Branson, 
those guys, especially people in the creative sphere, you know, Steve Jobs, they've cultivated med- meditation practices because they know that if they're more in touch with their true essence, they're going to be able to make clear decisions. You know, it kind of gets into this conversation about flow. And the word flow can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Um, you know, we have some we have some really great resources to point to flow for explanations of, of what that is, what that flow state is. But wouldn't we all like to get to a state where the work that we do becomes easier and mm-hmm. more fluid and flows in a graceful way that we're not just like strangling to get done, but rather like mm-hmm. dancing the tango with? For most people who object to it, I just have to get them to that first experience where it clicks for them. And I've even gone as far as to, you know, for people who are really resistant to it, to like force them into like a 10-day or three-day Vipassana, a silent meditation retreat so that they can really understand what it is that I'm talking about for themselves because until you internalize it, until you have that light bulb moment where you really do feel interconnected, you feel like you know yourself and you feel present and lit up and activated. And then once I get them to that place, they get it. And then it's just fine tuning their practices and methods. And and then we can go from there. That's great. I mean, I've certainly had these points in my own life and career where I've gotten so wrapped up in things and I'm not stopping as much as I focus on it and work on it. And, you know, I try to remember that uh, we have such strong cultural messages about working more and more and more, making us better people, you know, that there's a strong value to nonstop busyness in our culture. Uh, It's hard not to just absorb that when we're so praised (laughs) for and it's held up, you know, as the as the pinnacle of virtue to be working nonstop. Yeah. You know, maybe it's the Protestant work ethic. Maybe it's just Mm -hmm. the speed of Western culture. It's certainly exacerbated by social media. But yeah, we we glorify work. Work is not the goal. The goal is an end product. We're interested in in the the result of our work more than we're we should be at least more interested in mm-hmm. the result of our work than the grind. You know, being busy is different than being productive. You have to get to that point on your own. You have to experience that that level where where it clicks for you, despite having bills to pay and deadlines and kids and you know a busy social schedule. But for me, it's it's one of the more important lessons that we can learn. And I was fortunate enough to understand this, you know, as a teenager. Yeah, it seems like it's it, it's it's very common that people who who are able to adopt this more easily had an early foundation or or grounding in this before you know adult life took over. <laughs> yeah, well, it's either that or or they got to a point where their pace was no longer sustainable. You know, they got, mm-hmm. they got to a point where it's like, I just can't do this anymore. I'm running around like a chicken with my head cut off and things are lacking. I lack the depth that I know that I want and I know that I need. And it's either they have, you know, they have previous experience or they get to a point where they just, they, they have no other choice because mm-hmm. they're facing either, you know, stress induced disease or breakups or, you know, the unraveling of, of the work that they've done just because they're trying to keep this unsustainable pace. 
And I wonder if you can talk a little bit about how technology plays into this. We obviously talk a lot about this on the podcast, how uh, constant connectivity and and social media can pull us and, and draw on our attention constantly to be just busy all the time, communicating all the time, acting all the time, reacting all the time. I wonder if there's any particular ways in which you either see that arise in your your clients and any particular strategies you you know help them work on developing in order to to counteract those kinds of uh, stresses it's all about scheduling it, it, for me it's all about scheduling and time blocking you know even not having your email open on your web browser not having uh, your phone on certainly turning off your push notifications so that you don't get notified everyone every time someone makes a comment on a Facebook post. Mm-hmm. You know, I've dedicated uh, and I've had other people do this too, change their email address for their social properties to an email that they don't ever look at. So mm-hmm. that when they log into their email, they're not distracted by, you know, a post from Brenda for what she had for dinner last night. Because certainly that's not helping you be a better person. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> so, you know, step one, turn off all your notifications. Step two, time block your emails so that you're checking your emails, you know, twice a day instead of twice an hour. That's a useful tool. And then limiting your social media interactions into time blocks as well. And if you're a freelancer, you know, I work with owners and operators who use social media strategically to help grow their personal brands or their businesses. And what I have helped them explore and and activate on is when does your audience most interact with you? If you're going to totally optimize your social media and optimize your life so that you're not just at the beck and call of every notification is if you're getting the most hits, interactions, comments, on weeknights at eight o'clock, mm-hmm. then that's when you should be posting. Don't post earlier, just post in that time zone and dedicate, say, okay, for the next hour, I'm going to post and I'm going to interact on social media. So from eight to nine, which again, goes, it goes against some of the, some of the rules that I follow about not being exposed mm-hmm. to electromagnetic frequencies at night, mm-hmm. you know, wearing, wearing blue blocking glasses so that you're not being blasted by blue light and that's screwing up your, your circadian rhythms. But it's all about having a plan because if you don't have a plan, then you'll just adopt whatever's mm-hmm. going out in the world. You'll just be a, ball floating around on the top of the of, of the water this is a transcendental meditation sort of image that 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 I that I really recall from the the early training which is instead of being a ball going up and down with every single wave and every mm-hmm. single thought mm-hmm. that's being that's being amplified by other people's feelings and thoughts on social media and being smashed around and crashed on the waves if you can go an inch below the the top of the water or two inches or six inches or 10 feet below, then you you can be more in control of the way that you show up on social media. Mm, But mm -hmm. everybody's different. And some people have like real hardcore addictions to social media. And of course, there's conversations about, you know, the self and how you show up and, and how you handle your online persona, which no one's online persona is actually who they are. Right. But having having a strategic plan that's custom fit for you that optimizes the upside and minimizes the downside. Yeah, I really like that way of putting it. You know, it recognizes both that we have 
power and agency to make changes while, all re- while also recognizing that we can't completely eliminate the negative. We can't, you know, be perfect in the positive direction either, but we can do a lot to push both things in, in different directions really far beyond where we start. Absolutely. Yeah, you got it. And, you know, what are, what are there ways, if any, in which you help and advise people to actually use technology, maybe to advance some of these goals? As a business owner, I've turned to consolidating communication and platforms like Slack, which some folks will be familiar for, is a way mm-hmm. to consolidate, you know, organizational communication so that you're not communicating on email and phone and text, you know, Trello is another good communication optimization tool for for organizations. But if you've got projects you're working on, finding more efficient ways to communicate is is going to not only save you time, but it's also going to make the way that you access important information that much more streamlined. That's one way is, is, is to be strategic with the way that you communicate so that, again, you know, a one-line email reply to mm-hmm. a, a 45 email thread is not a great use of your time. Like mm-hmm. sending an email reply that says, okay, thanks. You know, <laughs> you see email come through, you see, you see in, in the preview, it says, okay, thanks. You click it, you open it. That's all it says is, okay, thanks. But it's taken you away from whatever it is it was that you were working on in your focus. So, I think being really stingy with the way that you communicate, with the way that you process and think of the way that you're communicating is a really helpful tool. As far as, you know, social media posting, it depends on, on what your goal is. You know, if you're you or me and you have a podcast and you know that it needs to be promoted in a certain way and posted on time and, you know, needs to be accompanied by quotes and links and all that stuff. And I know that you've said this in the, in the, in the pre-read, but you know, the optimal performance podcast is a weekly, weekly podcast goes out every single Monday. It's everything from the world of high performance. And so what I do is I make sure that that thing is ready to go fully edited with all the accoutrement by Friday at two o'clock so that I'm not thinking about it all weekend. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's not occupying any parts of my brain. It's already queued up on, on Libsyn. It's already ready to go on, on the podcast publisher so that it goes out on its own. And then, you know, on days days that it is published, I've got to be ready to respond to comments and support it and tag people. And I tend to do that first thing in the morning. You know, I've got two kids and a couple of businesses and fun projects, and I really value time with my family and not just time with my family, but presence with my family. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And in order to do that, I like to do most of my social media activity, you know, before like two o'clock. So I will batch, you know, make most post most of the things that I'm going to post before eight o'clock in the morning on weekdays. And then on the weekends, you know, I'll post as I feel like it, but it, it all goes back to a plan and everybody's goals are different. If you're trying to, if you're trying to publish a book and promote a book, you're going to have a different strategy than if you're on a television show or you're a professional athlete or the CEO of, of a company. So I, I think the other thing that people need to consider is that none of us really have a plan. <laughs> none of us really have a strategy for how we interact with technology. And if we don't have a strategy that's custom fit for us, 
we're just going to use our reptilian brains to post when we want to post. And that leads to big trouble if you don't have, if you don't have a, a focus with it. Yeah, I really, I really like your emphasis on starting with what your own goal, focus, intention is and using that to drive your actions. Because as you said earlier, the technology is so powerful, it can easily, if we're not guiding ourselves, lead us along, right? You use the, use the ball on the water metaphor. I had a karate teacher who'd use a puppet on a string metaphor. Yeah. You know, sim- similar idea. By default, if we are not affirmatively taking action, that's the path of least resistance is just to be pulled along by the technology because it's designed so well to do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we know, and I think most people know this, but some people don't, is that you have a pixel. Your pixel that is associated with you on social media tracks you around the internet. And that's, of course, why you get ads that are custom to you. But it's also framing your worldview. You're being fed what Facebook thinks you like. It's a larger question around mind control or the purveyors of, of infotainment sort of dictating what we consume from a social media standpoint. And so I think awareness is important. It's important to know that your world is being shaped every time you look on Facebook and you're being fed stuff, information, pictures, articles, videos, everything that is someone is choosing that for you. And, and that's someone that wrote that AI to feed you all sorts of political stuff that you just keep looking at and keep looking at. It's just this self-fulfilling momentum that just continues on. And to know that you can check out of that at any time, you can turn that sucker off. You can make strategic choices about what you will and what you won't consume. Because if you don't, then someone will decide for you. And that's kind of scary. Yeah. I wonder, you know, is there any suggestion you'd give to anyone listening who feels like they're in this kind of situation that you say your new clients are often in, where they have been going ahead full steam for weeks, months, years, you know, a very long time. Maybe they've been very successful at it, but they're they're feeling like they've reached the limit to how far that strategy, even if it's what's natural for them, you know, can, can do for them. And maybe they're even starting to feel some really negative consequences. You mentioned health, sleep, relationships. Is there something, I'm not asking you for any kind of easy trick, but for something that people could start with, you know, simple, that could have some impact, even small for themselves? Yeah. I mean, every, everybody loves a challenge. Well, not everybody loves a challenge, but (laughs) one thing that I have pointed to in the past that seems to work really well for people is a fast. You take a fast. You fast from social media. You can't fast from technology anymore, Mm -hmm. really, unless you're doing a 10-day Vipassana or a backpacking trip around Mount Rainier, which is up in my neck of the woods. Mm -hmm. But looking at it from the broadest lens you possibly can, can you fast For a weekend, can you take a weekend off from social media? You know, just delete the apps, commit to deleting the apps for two days, and then just watch, watch how your brain works. Watch how how many times your 
hand goes into your pocket, pulls out your phone, opens it up, and your thumb is looking for the Facebook app or the Instagram app, and then you realize it's not there. Just like watching yourself do that. So like a fasting protocol for a weekend, I've created something called the the McCormick Moon Fast. And just because I like the esoteric, I ask people to to go for a full moon cycle to fast mm. from social media. You can't really fast from email because you've, you know, you've got work to do. But fasting from alcohol, substances, sex, swearing, to really clear out, you know, you can you can combine this with, you know, with a juice fast if you want to 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 take care of the body as well as the brain and your social habits. But if you can commit to either a short or longer 28-day uh, period to fast from all of the stuff that's gunking you up, all of the stuff that's filling that rain barrel that's now become unsustainable, that's now causing more harm than good in your life, and then to find an accountability partner, you know, find a coach or find a really dependable friend that won't let you wiggle out of it and say, mm-hmm. okay, this is what I'm doing. I'm going to be off social media for a week. I really want you to check in with me every day, send me a text message that said, hey, how's it going? Have you stayed off of it? To have that level of accountability, because what you'll find and what what everybody finds when they do this is that you're nerve wracked at first because it's compulsive and that sort of compulsive behavior that you have around technology and and specifically social media has has, uh, conditioned you in a certain way. For the first couple of days, it's nerve-wracking because it's now this part of you that's no longer there. But after like day two, day three, you find that you are sleeping better mm-hmm. and you find that you're actually having meaningful conversations with your partners or your kids or your spouses. You find that tension that always lives in the back of your neck. You know, you wake up with it, you go to sleep with it, that sort of like, ugh, that feeling, mm-hmm, that, that mm-hmm. omnipresent like pressure that you feel from the world starts to go away. It starts to, to give way to more creative ideas. And then you start thinking, because this is just the natural way of, of how we think of ourselves and, our, and the way that we show up in the world, you begin to think more about the relationships that you're in and the way that you eat and the way that you show up in the world. And it's just from having a little bit of a break from the grind and the rat race of, of posting or watching Netflix or even streaming music. That's a hard one for people because they rely on it to, to really set their moods for their workout, for their drive home. Podcasts too, you know? Mm-hmm. If you're listening to this, you're a podcast lover and right. bless you. But they're not going to go anywhere. They'll still be there, you know, when you're done with your fast. And then you'll have a new appreciation for the content. And you might be a little bit more discerning about which podcast you're listening to. Is this good for me? Is this like, should I be binging on murder mystery podcasts? (laughs) Like, Maybe not. Maybe I can change the way that I consume this media. It's, It's nervy at first, but most people see the benefits within a couple of days. First, I'll just make a, a self-admission along the lines of what you just said. You know, I listen to podcasts. I listen to audiobooks voraciously. I have a drive once a week that's about two hours in each direction. And one, I just love audiobooks. I, I'm so grateful for them. But there have been times which I found myself doing what you said, doing it just 
in an automatic way, just out of habit, where I find I'm listening to, to something, it's actually interesting, it is educational, but I'm not really paying full attention to it. And I'm just listening to one after the other, just out of habit, not really necessarily consciously because I've decided that's the best use of my time. And, you know, there have been times when I've made a decision, you know, I'm just going to be present with the drive instead. But it's a challenge. It's a challenge for me because I think there's a part of me that thinks, well, these things I'm listening to are high-minded. You know, I'm learning something from them. They're not like a video game or something else. But even something that's in a sense positive and healthy like that can become somewhat unhealthy or start to feel like uh, empty calories, uh, you know, counterproductive in other ways if you turn to it automatically just out of a reflex. Totally. Let me ask you this. When you do that, if you've done that, what is the sensation and what is your emotional and mental state when you decide, no, I'm just going to be, I'm just going to drive the car? Like what, what happens? What changes for you? I actually feel physical relaxation, you know, in my muscles, you know, chest, shoulders. So then I end up realizing that I had been feeling not very significant, but a low level of tension. And I would say kind of on the more emotional level, it helps me realize that when I was consuming the books, the audio books in that automatic way, I had kind of a low level feeling that's kind of like when you're eating empty calories. It's like positive, but with an underlying stress or a feeling of some kind of an irritation underneath it. Mm. Yeah, com- <laughs> it's, compulsion. It's, it's a, yeah, it's a, so it's a mixed feeling. You know, eat, look, I, I, I've always had challenges with sugar. I eat a piece of cake, it both tastes good and I can have a feeling of not goodness or maybe a degree of unwholesomeness, you know, we sometimes use in, in yeah. mindfulness, underlying it mixed together. And I find that when I make that decision to then be engaged in the drive, that's sometimes when I become co- more conscious of the feeling I had been having before I made that decision. And I'll just say to people listening, it's not that I then give up on audiobooks forever. <laughs> it's more a matter of trying to bring my awareness back to the forefront so that from moment to moment or hour to hour, I make more of a decision about how to balance my time and when to use it in different ways. And then it increases in value because you're more mindful, you're more present, you're more able to receive the wisdom that is within those audiobooks rather than running on autopilot and mm-hmm. just listening to this thing or that thing just because that's what you do. And I would imagine too that you probably allow yourself, you know, just like everybody does when they drive, especially if this is a, a, a weekly drive for you, is that your your brain wanders a little bit mm-hmm. and and it goes to places that it would not have gone if you were listening to whatever book that you were, were listening to, whether, you know, fiction or nonfiction, you're not receiving that extra stimuli. And so Mm -hmm. your brain is allowed to go to places like it would in the shower where all of us have our good, our best (laughs) ideas anyway. Right. And the reason that we have great ideas in the shower is because we don't have our phone with us and because you're awake, but not doing anything other than washing Mm -hmm. and you're being washed over by negative ions, which ground you and make you feel more calm and more present. That's where creative reverie comes in. And that again, goes back to my point earlier is, any way that you can become more you 
the best version of you you can be, it doesn't come through Game of Thrones. It just doesn't. <laughs> like, it's fun. I love great Game of Thrones too, but you're not going to have your next great idea watching that show. And you're not going to have your next great idea or solve some problem that's plaguing you or you know, address some issue with someone that you have a relationship with. It's, it's not going to happen while you're looking at Brenda's chili from last night. It's just, it, it has to come from a place of, of stillness and calmness and, and, and mindfulness. I, I really appreciate it. You brought things back full circle to uh, how to become your best self. Can you tell people how they can get in touch with you, how they can learn about you and your work, how they can find out about your, your coaching and, and other content you put out there all in line with, with all the topics we've been talking about, about increasing performance, decreasing stress, becoming more creative and becoming more of your, your best true self. Yeah, absolutely. The weekly podcast is the Optimal Performance Podcast, of which you will be a guest here shortly. That's a weekly podcast that's dedicated to all things performance. And we have gut health specialists. We have innovative doctors and researchers and inventors. We have really dynamic thinkers providing us with information that's actionable. So the Optimal Performance Podcast is is a great place to get, get great wisdom that, that I'm curating the same way that you are. For me personally, in my coaching practice, you can go to seanmccormick.com, S-E-A-N mccormick.com. That's my coaching website where you can read my blog and you can get a little bit of an idea of what some of my philosophies are on being the best version that you can possibly be. And I offer a free intro session, a free coaching intake call. It's 15 to 30 minutes where we can become acquainted. We can hear about what it is that you want to become? What are your goals? Where do you want to go? And how I may be able to help you do that in a faster way. And then on Instagram, it's real Sean McCormick. I, Facebook freaks me out. And so <laughs> I don't, I should. And, you know, there's a lot of people telling me that I should be more active on Facebook, but I just, it's, it, for me, it's super detrimental. So I spend more of my social media focus on Instagram. Yeah, that's, that's where, that's where you can find me. Excellent. Well, that's really great. I'm sure people will uh, check you out in all of those different ways. I really enjoyed speaking with you today, Sean. Thanks so much for being on the Technology for Mindfulness podcast. Oh, thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Thanks for joining us for this Technology for Mindfulness podcast with me, Robert Plotkin, and today's guest, Sean McCormick, a performance coach and podcaster. You can find out more about Sean and learn about his various coaching programs at seanmccormick.com. If you liked today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review, and share the episode with your friends. And don't forget to also check out our blog at technologyformindfulness.com for information and tips about science, technology, and mindfulness. You'll also be able to find out about our Tap Into Mindfulness course for helping you to take control of your smartphone and take back your life at tapintomindfulness.com. I'm Robert Plotkin, and I'll join you next time on the Technology for Mindfulness podcast, with Michael Jacobus, founder of the Reset Summer Camp, a unique program for teenagers with technology addictions. See you then.